This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye, baseball, a walk-off. Winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. Goodbye, baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here again. Mariners, a couple of... Uh, so, good news and bad news for this podcast. Bad news is... It's been a rough patch for the Mariners, and we have a couple losses to talk about quickly. The good news is this is going to be a really great podcast. So coming up in a couple of minutes, Joel Furman, Jesse Smith from the front office and the analytics department, they're going to be here to talk some numbers. Great conversation about a couple of the bullpen guys. We're going to talk some Vogelback, some D. Gordon along the way. So some fun conversation coming up there. And we're also going to chat with Adam Simber, who's a member of the Cleveland bullpen. His dad, Russ, you've actually already heard his voice on this podcast. He's the voice that introduces every single podcast. He works at our flagship station, 710 ESPN. And his son, Adam, pitched at the University of Washington and has made his way through the minors, pitched for the Padres last year before being traded to Cleveland. And now he's part of the... Indians bullpen. So we get a chance to chat with Adam Simber, and it's fantastic. So you don't want to miss that. So we make up for what has been a couple of rough days with a fun podcast. So hopefully that helps. We knew going in it was going to be a difficult stretch with the starters, and it certainly has been for Lander, Cole, Bauer, Bieber, who was really good last night, and now Carrasco coming up today as well, the finale of the series before the road trip to the Angels and Padres. Uh, Mariners, though, have made it close the last couple of ball games, uh, losing three. Actually, they've all been close uh, throughout this entire homestand, but just not enough. Couple costly mistakes late in ball games, and that's really been the deciding tale in the games late. Yesterday, Jay Bruce was able to keep the home run streak alive and. Cut the lead to two. The pitch on the way, swinging a drive into center field and deep. Martin going back, looking up. Goodbye, baseball. Jay Bruce with a home run here in the bottom of the eighth inning. And the Mariners extend their major league record 20 consecutive games to start the year with a daily dinger. Yeah, it wasn't enough, though, as the Mariners fall four to two in game two of the series. Cleveland has taken the series. Mariners looking to find a way to salvage the finale after being swept aside by the Houston Astros. Here's Scott's service after the ball game yesterday. Been quiet again on the offense. Yeah, um, our, our offense uh, you know, shut down again tonight. Really didn't get much going there. Um, 
you know, Bieber threw the ball well, but uh, um, he's really aggressive in the strike zone. Uh, you know that coming into the game, he's a strike thrower. He's going to get after it, you know, and I think we had some pitches to hit. Didn't really get a, a whole lot going with it. Had a couple chances out there. The one thing we had first and second, nobody out, uh, and really couldn't capitalize on that. Uh, that certainly hurt, but uh, you know, that Mike leaked through the ball really well. Um, tough lineup. Um, you know, to get through with the, you know, Mike stuff, the sinker baller, and, and they got a lot of left-handed low ball hitters in there. But I thought he did a really nice job, uh, keep us right there uh, in the ball game. Just tonight, offensively, just didn't didn't get much going at all. Yeah, I just thought, you know, where we were at uh, in the ball game. Ellis has probably been our most consistent guy out of the bullpen. He's been throwing the ball great, you know, all year. Um, felt good about going to that spot and holding him right there and hope our offense could come back. So uh, obviously it didn't happen uh, tonight uh, with Elias. It wasn't quite as, as sharp and crisp and say all that. He's you know, one pitch away from trying to get through that inning and uh, got a ball up to Freeman who slapped a single left field and, and drove in the run. So, um, yeah, just, you know, the tack on runs have hurt here in this homestand. You know, we've been in a lot of these games, uh, go to the bullpen, and you kind of need that couple of shutdown innings to hope your offense can, can come back. And teams have tacked on a run here or there, and it's been a little bit tougher. Not getting the double play there in the fourth. That kept... It was. It was a big play. Uh, D made an unbelievable, you know, backhanded stop, uh, flips it to to uh, to Tim, and, and just didn't, you know, make the exchange. Uh, we get out of that inning with nothing out there if we turned a double play. So, again, tough play. Uh, certainly D <laughs> had the, made the toughest part of it uh, and had it started, but uh, we just couldn't finish it. But, you know, every out, every double play ball, it's huge, um, you know, in these tight games. Like when you guys were hammering out runs, 7 uh, No question. And I don't think anybody expected that we were going to score eight, you know, seven, eight runs per game. You know, you've got to tighten up the defense and throwing strikes out of the bullpen and, and making pitches to hold teams right there to give our offense uh, a chance to get going on certain nights. And and we haven't done it, you know, just haven't been able to do it here in this homestand. Um, you know, we will get it going offensively again. Um, tonight was just a uh, night. It was probably a few of our guys just weren't picking up the ball well off him. I certainly thought uh, of all the games we played so far, uh, Santana has probably been one of our most consistent guys, and you can just tell he wasn't wasn't seeing it good tonight. So, you know, it happens. We got to get back after tomorrow, uh, try to salvage something here in this homestand, and you know, and get it back rolling in the right direction again. Uh, yeah, D's uh, you know really got good feel out on the bases. Um, he's got the green light. Um, really trust his instincts and you know when to go and when he thought he had a chance. Um, you know, beginning there kind of you know at the top of our lineup or the heart of our lineup coming up there, uh, running into and out there is a tough one. And uh, you know he thought he could make it. Obviously, it uh, didn't work out. Jay got a pretty good jolt on that one. Yeah, Jay hits homers. Uh, not, uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, he's got a good swing going there on certain pitches. Uh, he just wants to get more consistent. Uh, we'll certainly take the homers, but I think the consistency is what, what Jay is looking for right now, too. Tom Murphy certainly hit the ball well. Murphy had a great night. He really did. Um, swung the bat well. I um, mean, a nice throw from behind the plate. I did a nice job calling the game. Uh, he's really working his tail off. He's probably one of the hardest workers we got in here. He just wants to get better every day. And, you know, everything from his receiving to his throwing to that we're getting the extra work in the cage, and it's paying off for him. Great to see. There was Scott's service after the game yesterday. So next time we talk on Friday, two games will have gone by the wayside. The one today, day baseball, 340 
Eric Swanson will make his first major league start after one appearance out of the bullpen. Carlos Carrasco will go for Cleveland. An ugly start last time out for him against KC. Uh, couldn't get out of the first inning, gave up six runs against the Royals. So we'll see what Carrasco has in store as the Mariners try and salvage the finale of the series and the homestand. And then Thursday against the Angels, four-game series starting Thursday. Felix takes the ball again. Chris Stratton will go for the Angels. They've played good baseball at one point, winning six in a row. Though uh, Right now, a game below 500 at 8-9, and nine, so that should be a good series. Four against Los Angeles, two against San Diego before returning back home. First things first, the game today against Cleveland. Right now, we're going to have a fun conversation. We'll talk some numbers. Jesse Smith, Joel Furman. I want to start bullpen, and there's a couple of things happening down there that's been a lot of fun to watch, and I want to talk about Brandon Brennan to start with. And it has been rule five, rule five pick. He has pitched really well out of the gates this season. I know you had a big hand in Brennan being here. What, what did you see? How did this develop? How did this happen? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, I mean, that whole process um, going into the rule five draft was one of the more – collaborative creative experiences I've been a part of you know we we got together in Las Vegas for the winter meetings and that was you know we had a lot of names to to work through and we kind of get got together as a baseball ops staff and talked through all the guys and uh, it was just a really open-minded forward-thinking discussion and and a really good process and and Brennan was kind of the name that that came out on top Um, I think from a from a data standpoint what we what we saw was kind of what we're able to do with pitch evaluation is a little different over the last five years than it really has been ever before, which is where we used to maybe look at the results that pitches are posting, like how often they're getting swings and misses or strikeouts or walks or things like that. We can now actually evaluate pitches based on how they're moving and how fast they're going and where they're located. And what that allows you to do, which is kind of unique, is you can take a, a pitch like Brandon Brennan's changeup that's only been thrown against double A and triple A hitters in the last two years. And instead of asking how is his changeup done against those double A hitters, you can actually ask how would that change up with that movement and that velocity and that location, how would that pitch do against Aaron Judge or JD Martinez or Joey Gallo? Um, and, and that's kind of the the analysis that sort of led us to think that this is a pitch that, that looks like one of the best pitches in baseball and it, it just hasn't gotten to the big leagues yet. So um, you know, he was available, and we, we took a shot, and early returns have been good. So when you watch him every time he goes out there, I mean, how gratifying is it to watch his success early on in the season? And that changeup has been dynamite so far, by the way. I'd say there's been quite a few fist pumps up in the front <laughs> office yes. area. Yeah. Also, Gary, Joel's really soft-selling this uh-huh. so far on okay. this Brennan process. Understood. Understood. Uh, I believe our assistant general manager, Justin Hollander, coined the phrase, uh, Brennan Furman 2020 <laughs> after Joel made an impassioned speech uh, as on Brennan's behalf uh, prior to the rule five draft. Yeah, it, it has been fun to watch. Uh, um, you know, he will probably allow an earned run at some point. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's not go that happens, But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, uh, I'll never forget kind of being on the backfields in spring training when we were doing, the first live BPs of the spring. So games hadn't started um, just kind of the first live session where pitchers are going to face our hitters and, and the hitters will take swings and it's out on the backfields and, and I get out there and want to see Brennan. So 
Uh, he starts throwing his warm-up pitches, and uh, Scott Service and Justin Hollander, assistant GM, are kind of leaning over the turtle, like getting ready to watch. And I, I'm kind of standing behind them, and this thought just sort of dawns on me that uh, I've told a lot of people in this organization that this is one of the best pitches <laughs> in baseball. I've never seen it in real life. <laughs> it's a little terrifying. Um, and he, he kind of hit her, stepped in there, and he, he threw a fastball for a taken strike, and then and then he threw his first changeup, and I don't remember who the hitter was, but kind of took a half swing and almost fell over, and the bat kind of, you know, fell out of his right hand. And Scott and Justin kind of turned around and grinned, and I breathed a big sigh of relief. <laughs> that is amazing. The first time you laid eyes <laughs> yeah, on it. Yeah, I, I have never, never seen it in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's really cool with uh, the Brennan story is, is, is that it's, you know, we had these numbers. We had, you know, a, a lot of information, uh, heavy lifting by Joel, suggesting that this was a really a potentially special player uh, that was certainly worthy of a Rule 5 selection in our minds. But, you know, there was so much unknown as to how it would play out. And, and Joel and I have, have talked about this some since uh, as we lived through every outing one yes, by one. Right. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, so we knew that there was these pitch characteristics were really interesting and we thought we could we thought they were presently very good. We could make some adjustments to maybe make them better. Uh, you know, we looked at it from the mechanical lens, the scouting lens, but we had no idea what kind of person we were dealing with uh, and, and, you know, just what exactly we were getting and, uh, you know, would he be receptive to the, mm-hmm. the, our ideas and things like that. And, and it's, it's just been, he's been awesome. Uh, he's, he's, he's a great guy. He's been really receptive to uh, the information that we're, we're giving to him. So it's just, it, it's sort of been a perfect storm so far. You know, we don't know what kind sure. of career he'll go on to have, but. This has been really fun for yeah, us. Yeah, I, I mean, I can imagine. And along those same lines, we were talking to Sadzek in the clubhouse yesterday, you know, after watching him in his last down throw a slider quite a bit. And he talked about being approached with the numbers and talked about how, you know, seeing it on paper, how he's been more effective throwing the slider for strikes. It's just it's really interesting to hear the numbers being presented to the guys, them being open to it and watching it play out and be effective on the field. Which I guess is the plan, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. This this has been kind of the first year that I think we've been able to to really put that in play on on kind of a broad in a broad basis. So um, that started in spring training. We mm-hmm. kind of every every pitcher in big league camp we were able to sit down with and and kind of show them how we thought their pitches would play at the big league level and maybe throw out some some adjustment ideas for which pitches to use more or how to use them in different locations and, and things like that, just really starting a, a discussion with all the players. Um, and then by the time Sadzik came on board, what I thought was really cool was just that by that time I got the feeling that this was really – this idea was really part of our culture and the way we mm-hmm. do things. And so where it kind of felt new and exciting in spring training, by the time we talked to Sadzik, it was like, that this is what we do in Seattle, um, which, which was fun. Yeah, That's it was great. Cool. Let's talk some Daniel Vogelback. This has been amazing. The, the thing that stands out to me is you look at uh, the exit velo, and it's incredible. I mean, he's up there with Judge and Cruz. What are you seeing? What are the numbers telling you about this Vogelback run, which has been fantastic? I mean, you know, if you – could extrapolate this to an entire season it would be you know completely crazy uh i think he's you know at the upper end of the war spectrum and as a as a primarily a dh that's incredibly difficult to do so that tells you what kind of offensive production he's getting he just 
comes to the plate with a a very precise plan. Mm. Every plate appearance, he never gives a plate appearance away. He's completely locked in. Obviously, he's incredibly talented. Uh, I believe this is a Theo Epstein quote, but one thing that uh, that always sticks in my mind with Vogelbach is like last, you know, this, this didn't come out of nowhere. He, right. by by my account, he was the best hitter in AAA last year. Maybe not the number one prospect, but the best he has he was the best offensive performer in AAA last year. And something that Theo said was that there's you know there's no such thing as I believe a quad A player, which would be someone who only hits in AAA but can't bring it to the majors. Like some people are are more adept to make the the leap than others, and you know it affects everyone differently. But if you are the best in AAA, it's hard to fathom that you would not at least be above average in the major leagues. It's not it's not a totally different world. You know a lot of the players taxi back and forth, so you're probably facing about 30, 50 percent of the same pitchers anyway. Uh, so finally, you know the opportunity has 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 come to him and he has seized it it's been a lot of fun to watch yeah it has been the, jesse touched on the approach but just you know watching him stick to that just extremely patient approach obviously on pitches out of the zone but even even on pitches in the zone that aren't in an area where he can drive he's just really good at, at spitting on those pitches and, yeah. and looking for something he can handle so yeah it, it's been awesome to to watch I mean, there's a million different things that have been fun to watch numbers-wise with the start of the season. One thing that's really stood out to me is D. Gordon and the chase rate. You look at his swings outside of the zone, and he's in the top ten in the American League right now, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Granted, early. Right. I, I mean, we can put that disclaimer on everything. but <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive. It undoubtedly a massive change. Uh, Chase rate's interesting. Uh, you know, off, we've referenced uh, skill change reports in the past and flags for, for players changing in skills. And chase rate is something that takes a very long time for us to say from the analytics empirical perspective that a real change has occurred. Like, I don't know if I could say that for D. Gordon, just a purely analytical perspective at this moment. But that being said, uh, his just talking to D and seeing his approach, the intent behind it, and just how big of a change we're seeing so far, I think it's very promising that he is, you know, he has a purpose. He's he's trying to make a change, and so far he is succeeding. How difficult is it when you're trying to identify a change in skill set? How difficult is it to identify that change? Yeah, I think it's become easier with the data that we uh-huh. have available. I think, um, for instance, it would be it would be difficult to tell if a pitcher had changed in talent if all you were looking at it were their ERA month by month, right. you know. But um, the more granular data we have on kind of physically what these players are doing, the, the quicker those windows kind of become clear and that you can kind of eliminate some of the noise. So I think it's it's become easier over the years. I think it just you got to be careful kind of what you're what you're looking at and what you're latching on to in, in small samples. I know you've talked about it before, but for people that haven't heard, you should tell us again what you do to try and identify, you know, not just Mariners players, obviously, but minor league players in different organizations, players in other organizations looking for trying to unearth change in skill set. Yeah, well, you know, the the beauty is that we collect and assess data league-wide. So, you know, every player is – we're evaluating players against the whole league. Right. So 
we're never just, we're very rarely just looking at our players. We're always looking at the whole context. And then if we want to boil it down to our players, we go that way. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> the, so yes, the, the now infamous skill change uh, flag report. So, <laughs> you know, honestly, we, we, I didn't really know exactly where this would go when we started, but uh, I think the key concept is that there's, you know, you can go on fan graphs or the internet, a baseball prospectus, and find player projections, you know, forecasted talent levels for offense, pitching, defense, whatever you want. Uh, but that's just, that isn't exactly, that isn't flagging a skill change as a yes, no, something has changed. That's just, you know, so as you get more information, you might slightly adjust someone, say like, oh, they maybe are slightly improving or slightly getting worse. But we wanted to build something with the exact intent to just look for a massive change. Uh, so rather than sort of assessing how players on average change and what you know one plate appearance means uh, for your future, we just wanted to build uh, a system that was specifically designed to look for these changes. And uh, we tasked that to our very creative analyst, Ben Aronow, and uh, he took it and ran with it, and it turned into something that was immediately very interesting to our scouts for one because you know that's they want to be the first at a party if there's if we have a player that you know we don't know for sure but we're just flagging sort of when it gets to a point that something is is very different mm -hmm. here then we send we send scouts there get eyes on it and then maybe we we know something before the other you know 29 teams do hopefully for people that want to dive into the numbers a little bit deeper for public numbers, I know you see things that we don't necessarily see. What do you think the best public number for an offensive player, for somebody getting into this for the first time? Where do you think they should go? Where should they start? I would probably say WRC plus. Joel, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, WRC plus or WOBA. Um, and the only difference between those two things is that WRC plus is going to be kind of park and league adjusted mm -hmm. um so it'll be a, a little more fair across the league but in general those two things are both based on this concept linear weights which which essentially just takes baseball outcomes like the walk and the single and the double and the triple and instead of applying arbitrary weights to them like say ops or batting average would we actually have these kind of historically driven okay how many runs is a single worth how many runs is a double worth um, and what WRC Plus and WOBA does is kind of apply those weights to all the outcomes and comes up with this kind of all-encompassing offensive metric. And um, in people will disagree, but in general, I think they're on a pretty intu intuitive scale. You know, WOBA is scaled to OBP and, and WRC Plus is scaled to 100. So over time, you can those can become shorthand pretty quick. And then, you know, Baseball Reference also has uh, OPS Plus, mm -hmm. uh, which is really probably about 99% the same as WRC plus, which you'd, you'd find on fan graphs. Uh, so if, for those that are more comfortable with OPS, OPS plus is going to give you that hundred scale that just deals with sort of league park stuff, which mostly only comes into play for your, your Colorado Rockies. And now it's time to chat with Adam Simber. Last night, family, friends, you're at the park that you've been at so many times you walk into a really tough situation at the same time. What was going through your mind? What were your emotions going into your appearance last night? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going through my head early on in the game and before the game. 
Um, and then it's just a process to try to block all that out when it comes fifth inning, sixth inning, you know, you got to start getting ready. Um, you try not to think about it. You try not to think about where you're at and who you're facing and who's in the stands. Um, that's what I tried to do. Can't say it was it was perfectly clear in my head, but uh, it went the way it was supposed to in my head. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience, real blessing. It was a long journey for you to get here, a lot of work to get here. What was it like to take the mound at home? Uh, pretty crazy. Um, I pitched here in high school my senior year, 2009. I pitched here couple times in college when I was at UW, uh, but this time was a little bit different. It was <laughs> pretty crazy to, to look into that other dugout and see the Mariners. Yeah. <laughs> it's a team that I grew up watching since I was old enough to watch TV, and I came out before the game yesterday and saw Griffey out there and Martinez out there, and it's like, <laughs> holy smokes, I'm playing on that same field. <laughs> Who were some of your heroes growing uh, up? Griffey was my favorite player ever. We got my, my parents' dog back home is named Griffey. I had a giant life-size poster of him on my door growing up as a kid. I had a Mariners-themed room. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, Edgar Martinez is a big one. I loved Randy when he was here. Ichiro, A-Rod until he left. The way you throw is obviously unique. How have you developed your style over the years? Uh, it started when I was 14, and I was pretty small and didn't throw hard. I was right-handed. and my dad was like, hey, if you want to make the high school team, you want to keep playing, you should try to do something different, stand out. And uh, at that time, we watched a lot of Brad Ziegler when he was here with the A's playing the Mariners. And that's pretty cool. Let's try that. And I think we kind of started doing that in the driveway and started mixing it in a few times a game. And I kind of realized that that was the pitch that was most effective. So I started doing it full time about 14, and it kind of clicked by 16, my sophomore year of high school. When did you think that the majors was a possibility? Uh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I ever actually sat down and was like, wow, I could do that. Um, I think that like once I got to high school, I was like, okay, I might be able to play college ball now. And I got an offer from UW and played there. And then it was just trying to get drafted at that point. And you get drafted and you're like, wow, I made it. And you show up and there's 700 other guys and trying to make the same minor league team you are. So it gets a lot, of, little convoluted there, down there in the minors. Um, I don't know. It just kind of started to feel real I think maybe 2017 when I got to AAA I was having some success and this might happen. <laughs> it's pretty amazing your last year you make the Padres out of camp you're you're with them you get traded to Cleveland for the playoffs how do you describe everything you went through last year? A whirlwind uh, yeah. I mean it was crazy I, I got a big league camp invite that I wasn't really expecting to get um, with the Padres last year and then showed up not expecting to make the team whatsoever and that worked out and I made the team and then the trade deadline comes around and there's guys like other guys in the bullpen, Craig Stammen, Kirby Yates, Brad Hand that we talked about getting traded and all of a sudden I get a phone call from AJ Preller the last day of the deadline or the last day of the All-Star break and it's like you got traded and I'm like no way. <laughs> so then I'm on a plane to Texas to meet the team there that night and we're going to the playoffs a couple months later it's like holy smokes I can't believe that all just happened within like a 10-month span of me getting that big league camp invite in January. What was the playoffs like? Incredible. Uh, it, was, it was wild. Um, it, facing Houston Astros, a team that just won the World Series the year before in Houston, my first game. It was pretty weird, pretty special. I, th I think the, the pinnacle of my nerves last year was when we played at Fenway Park, though. Um, so I grew up liking the Red Sox a little bit, too. I was a big Nomar Garcia-Para fan. Um, so I watched a lot of Red Sox games, and that was on the bucket list was to go to Fenway before I died, just as a fan. And my first time there, was I got to pitch, and 
<laughs> it was like holy smokes again like what am, what am I doing here but yeah it was pretty special that's great do you do any voice work I don't <laughs> I, I don't think I'm as talented as my dad <laughs> well it's great to see you congratulations welcome home thank you it's good to be here